0: For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Ben, uh, and I was on staff here at Mitchell Breen for just about five years as the youth pastor, Uh, and uh, just a little, uh, almost a year ago now, I stepped on staff with an organization called Dare to Share Ministries out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, Our focus is this. We want to energize the church to mobilize their teens to gospelize the world. Uh, There's over one billion teens on the planet right now. Uh, If you were to line them up front to back, back to front in a single file line, it wraps around the planet seven and a half times. That's how many teens there are right now on the planet. About 3% of them live in the United States and our focus is we want to see every teen everywhere hear the gospel from a friend so we work hard to do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, But one of the joys for me in the position I have is that they've allowed me to stay here in the area so that we can call this our home church and still be part. Uh, And so we love that and as part of that we are in a life group uh, and on Tuesday night we were meeting here at the church uh, and talking about the book of Titus that we're studying together. And we were talking about hard truth and how Titus had been called to take hard truths and handle kind of a hard thing with the people on the island of Crete and their whole area there. And it was not easy. And we were talking about how truth is not always accepted uh, very well when it's presented to people. And I mentioned the story of a friend of mine uh, in Kansas who was interim pastoring for a church. And he was teaching through the book of James, and he got to James chapter 3, the first 12 verses, did a sermon on it, and one of the elders grabbed him and said, it'd be better if you just didn't come back next week, and they let him go. And, and I kind of was feeling in my heart, yeah, I hope I never have to preach on that. Eight hours later, Pastor John texted me and said, hey, would you preach this week? And I said, sure. And he said, it's James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I said, no. <laughs> God God was laughing, I'm pretty sure, about this because here's the thing is, I know this passage and, and I struggle with this passage mostly because I like to talk a lot. And so I find myself struggling all the time with this because I trip over my tongue again and again and again. But I also know it's not just me who does this. In fact, I was thinking about, okay, how do I describe in my life how this goes on? And you'll hear plenty of that, I'm sure, throughout today. But it's not always just me. And this week I got to experience it when somebody else was having this issue. I was in a store looking for some shoes. Uh, My wife laughs at my feet. She calls them hobbit feet because they're really weird shaped. And uh, so I have to wear shoes that can fit insoles. And so I like the hey dude shoes. I like them because they stretch and they fit my feet the way I want them. I go into the store and I'm looking at these. And this other family comes in the aisle it's, it's a mom and dad and their teenage daughter, and the dad's looking at these boots, they're talking about it, and the girl goes, oh my gosh, mom, those are the shoes. And I'm thinking, yeah, these are the shoes, as I'm holding some of these dudes. And, and her, her daughter, her mom's like, well, what, what do you mean those are the shoes? She's like, oh, they're ugly, we should just burn them all. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. She hasn't seen me yet, holding one of these shoes, about 10 feet from her. And her mom's like, well, what's so wrong with them? She goes, Mom, those are white people's shoes. And they're ugly. And the people who wear them just, oh, I can't stand them. And I'm wearing some and holding some. And just going, man, And she just keeps going. Still hasn't noticed me. Finally, I think it was her mom who saw me first. And she stopped talking. And I I just kind of glanced over. And the girl's just staring at me in terror. And I said, I guess these are shoes for people like me. (laughs) And... (laughs) And the girl just tries to catch it. She's like, well, the pair that you're holding, I like those ones. Those are, those are, mom, I actually like these. Maybe we should buy some for me. And I just, I was like, I'm just gonna save her. And I walked out of the aisle so that she could breathe for a moment. Uh, I, I made sure she knew I was not offended. But then her dad found me later in the store and he said, just, just, you know, I'm sorry that that happened. But she only said that because he owns a pair and she likes to make fun of him for it. So she was trying to make it this big thing. I thought it was great because it automatically helped me go, oh, I'm not the only one who says really ridiculous things at times that I should not. Um, And so uh, I love that because here's the thing, I suffer from that same issue in my life. I have a friend, Zane, he calls it constipation of the brain and diarrhea of the mouth. And as gross as that sounds, the face that my wife made recently when I inadvertently compared her to Shrek would confirm that this title is an apt description. Now some of you are checking out right now going, you called your wife Shrek? I did not call my wife Shrek. She says I called her Shrek, so I guess I called her Shrek. Okay, that's how it works, right? Neither of us remember the context of the conversation, but she remembers that vividly. So it happened. The truth is all of us struggle with this in some form or another. We all do. And, and we struggle with the words that we say. And as we're going to see in James chapter 3 today, this is not anything new. This has been a constant problem. So if you have your Bible with you, open up to James 3. We're going to start right in verse 1. uh, And let's pray as we're getting there. I'm going to pray over us as we open God's word. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to see what it is that you have for us today. God, I pray that your word would speak louder than anything else in this room. God, would you uh, help me to present it in truth and help me to share it, God, in a way uh, that allows us to move forward in a way that honors you. And God, we just pray that your word would speak to our hearts, convict us, draw us out, and help us, God, to leave here honoring you in a way that maybe we weren't before. We praise you, thank you, and look forward to how you're going to work. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1 here. Let's read the first two verses here, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. That, that last line there, I want you to, to hear that again. If we could control our tongues, then we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. That sets the tone for the rest of the passage. Because it's showing you something very important about the tongue. It has power in your life and it has power in the lives of those around you. It is a powerful thing. And so I want to challenge you as we go through this to think about it in this way. And and to understand the reality of, of it because we're going to talk about it a lot. But before we just dive into that topic, we can't pass this first piece where it talks about not many of you should long to or chase after the idea of being a teacher in the church. Sometimes in the church we have this problem where we see someone who's teaching, and not just in a a sense of preaching on the platform, but teaching in any aspect. And we struggle because we see what they have. We see some of them gaining notoriety. We see people loving and enjoying them. We see people being encouraged by them. And we'll have a desire in us that we want that. I want that, and so I chase after those kind of positions. But here's a reality that we need to have, is, is in the church there's not room for selfish ambition. This is something that James has already called out in his book and we'll hear again, but it is something that we are not to be looking like the world around us does as how can I move up to positions of more authority that I can have power, that I can be recognized. That's about my glory. We are not called to that, and this is the warning that's being given here. Some of you uh, look at this and you have this gift of teaching and you go, but I read this and that's why I do not teach in the church. Because I'm not willing to, to hold myself. I don't want to have to face a, a more strict judgment, so I'm just not going to do it. But here's something I want you to think about in this. You have been gifted, and you are called not to ignore that gifting. Romans chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, listen to what it says. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This section here shows me something very important about this. While we want to read it and say, okay, so if I step into this role, it's me saying I'm okay with God judging me uh, on a harsher level, on a stricter level, because I'm handling his word. I'm not going to do that. That's risky. that's not the option here. The option here, you have to understand, your gifting to teach was not a gifting given to you for the world, but for the body of Christ. This is why you've been gifted in this. And the call that we have on us is to build up the body of Christ with these gifts and it will pour out from the body of Christ to impact the world around us. Don't worry, if you're if you're thinking about it going, but I'm worried that I'm not going to live up to this judgment, guess what you're more likely to do? You're more likely to spend time studying God's word before you present it. You're more likely to not just get up and wing it. And that's the problem that we face nowadays is people who go, well, I'm pretty quick with words and clever with how I present things, so I can just wing it. I've got a pretty good understanding. They don't take time to study the word and understand it. And so they just say what they feel. And we end up in the situations that we're in now as a culture within the church where we're hearing all sorts of ideas come from all sorts of places and none of them seem to originate in Scripture. It twists Scripture to fit what we want it to because that's easy and and quick and simple to do. But I would encourage you, if you're looking and saying, I'm worried that I won't live up to that, then you're more likely to probably spend the time studying that you would. Because what God is asking you to do when you step into this role of teaching that you're gifted for is to handle His word correctly. Be an approved worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So I would encourage, you, if you're gifted to teach, don't hide from that. We need you. We need you to teach. There are so many areas within the church that we need. It's not just preaching its areas. Even in, we talked about disciple makers. We need disciple makers who come alongside people ready to be discipled and help teach them. We need people to help in the children's ministry to teach. I get to help with third and fourth graders at Awana. And I'll tell you what, you'd think that kids are pretty forgiving and stuff. Third and fourth graders are not. When you make a mistake, you know I, in my job, I get to travel a lot. And so I've missed quite a few Wednesdays. And at first, when I'd come back, they were excited. They're like, oh, you're here. Where'd you go? What'd you do? Now I come back, they're like, where you been? And they're angry and they're frustrated. And then it takes a little bit. I got to build some more uh, relationship with them in this. But I love the accountability and heart of that, that they have. Because there's all sorts of areas. And, and here's the thing to understand. James gets into this. He says, for we all make mistakes. He's talking about teachers and saying, we all make mistakes. How many times have you been at church, sat in a Bible study, been at life group, been in some Sunday school class or something like that, and you've heard something said that you didn't know if you quite agreed with? And instead of going and having a conversation with the person who said it, you got in the car and had a conversation with your spouse about it. Or or you went and had lunch with somebody and talked about it there. Or you barely made it out the doors here before you were grabbing somebody else to talk about how frustrated you were with what was said or wasn't said or how it was said. And, and it, what happens a lot of times in this is we, we see these words of saying those who teach will be judged more strictly. And we often think that our role sitting in the congregation is to be that judge. That's not it. That's not your role. Your role is is not to be the judge, but to first off, be committed to the body of Christ enough that you'll have the conversation that needs to be had for the benefit of the body. And second, to be a Berean. We sit in Mitchell Berean Church, but many of us don't understand or live out what that really looks like. The Bereans, Acts 17, Paul goes and sees the people of Berea and says they were noble because they took what was being taught to them and then they examined the scriptures daily to see if what was being taught to them fit with scripture. You can be sure of this, that Paul would teach something, and the next day there would be a leader of the people of Berea who would come and say, we'll accept what you're teaching because it aligns with the Scriptures. Can you imagine if, if uh, Pastor John preaches a sermon... And instead of complaining about it, you took notes on the things that you were wondering about that you weren't sure about, and you went and examined Scripture, and the next week could meet him at the door, shake his hand, and say, I looked in Scripture, here's what I saw, and I agree with you. Or, I looked in Scripture, and I still have these questions, can we talk about it? Can you imagine how much better the body of Christ would unify if we had that kind of attitude as believers? See, this is the reality that we have to see here at the beginning of this chapter is there's a call to teachers, but there's a call to those around us, to act, around teachers, to actually step into what it means to be the body of Christ. So I would encourage you to think about this. Be committed, even when you disagree, because sometimes those that are in teaching or authority positions in the church have to make decisions that, that we don't necessarily understand why they made them. Heaven forbid that we do this, but I'm going to send us back in time for a moment. Let's jump back March of 2020 oh boy, why did I do that? Every single one of us had the same amount of information. Most of us were deciding for our household what to do and then leaders in churches across the country were having to decide for their congregations what to do with the same amount of information. All of us know what decisions were made and all of us had opinions agreeing or disagreeing with decisions that were made based on the same amount of information. Here's the first thing that we missed. We were not committed to each other. In the body of Christ. And we had a problem with that. Not just here. Across the board. And it caused divisions. That we're still trying to gain back. That we're still trying to mend. Within the body. And I just want to encourage you. As we look forward. I guarantee you. There will still be hard times. Decisions you don't necessarily agree with. Tough things that we face as a church. We need to be committed to each other enough. That we can walk through them. Together in the right way. No matter what the decision is made. So I would just encourage you, it's a little side note in this, but I encourage you and ask you and plead with you to do this because it's needed. It's needed. Be Bereans, have the conversation with the person who you're wondering about or have questions with, and have it in love. And we're going to talk about that here as we get into it. James is writing to the believers. He's giving them instructions for how to live as followers of Christ. And so we're going to see that as we jump into verse 3 of James chapter 3. Here's what it says, "'We can make a large horse go wherever we want "'by means of a small bit in its mouth, "'and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn "'wherever the pilot chooses to go. "'Even though the winds are strong, "'in the same way, the tongue is a small thing "'that makes grand speeches.' But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. I don't know about you, but I think I want to be done. (laughs) I don't want to stand up here and just let let this go. I read that and I'm like, man, do you hear how powerful the tongue is and how deadly it is? Full of deadly poison, set on fire by hell itself. All these animals can be tamed, but not the tongue. Man, terrifies me to stand up and have to talk about this because I'm seeing something dangerous that all of us have been equipped with. And, and we got to think about the power that is there within what we say. And just so you're clear, in today's day and age, it's not just what we say with our mouth. Our thumbs have tongues too now. And we say a whole lot of things with those that we would not say with our mouth, but it comes from the same source as you're going to see. Listen to Proverbs 18.21, continuing on this thought. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Man, I understand this verse. I wish I didn't understand it as much as I do, but because I love to talk, I have, I've been reaping lots of consequences for that. Sometimes I talk so much and I don't even realize it. I'm one of those people who talk, I love to talk so much. I talk to myself and sometimes I forget I'm not alone I was driving with my son Micah in the car, and we were, we we're heading to go fishing, and by the time we were getting close to where we were going to fish, I'd forgotten he was with me. And I'm having this conversation in my mind about if everything in my life fell apart, how I could open a sandwich shop. And I'm having this conversation in my mind, and then I start saying it out loud, describing the sandwiches. I'm weird, okay? But I'm just talking this through and I glance in the mirror, and I see my son looking at me with that look that says, man, 33 must be a hard age to be, because my dad is losing it. And I said, hey, Micah. And he goes, you okay, Dad? And I was like, I think I might be. I don't know, but he's <laughs> like, yes, I'm fine. But here's the thing is, as funny as it is, I talk so much, and I reap the consequences of it. Sometimes it's just me getting embarrassed, and other times it's so much more than that. But I love to talk so much that I have, to have, I have to have things that keep me in check. I love going to my in-law's house because we get to do all sorts of stuff there and the family comes together. We always have a good time. Janae, though, has added something to our routine of arrival every time we get to her parents' house now over the last few times. And we'll pull up to the house and I'm ready to get out and she'll reach over and grab my arm. And I'm going, okay, what's she about to say? Let's hear this. And she'll say these words. Looking me into the eyes, she'll say, you don't have to have a comment for everything. First time she said it, I went, what's she talking about? Then I listened to myself for 10 minutes when we walked in the house. And I went, why am I even talking right now? This wasn't a conversation I was part of when it began. Why am I sitting in the living room feeling like I want to add something to the conversation going on in the kitchen just because I heard it and had a thought? Why can't I stop myself? And I started realizing that God had gifted me with a muzzle that I needed, with the accountability that loves me enough to say, hey, you don't have to do this because I know you want to have a good relationship with my family. And sometimes you don't get connected to my family because you talk and you don't hear them. And so I, I love that I have this accountability. She doesn't always feel like I love it because I struggle with it, and it's a battle. But the truth is, I I look at this and I reap the consequences of that. I think of the relationships that I never got to really build because I talked over them and how I need to work on this side of things. You see, I was so excited to preach on this section of scripture because it was at me. I'm not excited about it. Man, I've been looking at myself in the mirror all week just going, wow, why do I talk so much? And now why do I have to talk about why I talk so much? Welcome to my therapy session, <laughs> okay? I think about how Jesus talked on the same subject in Luke six forty three through 45. Here's what he said. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. We could ignore everything that he's saying here with this passage that we're going through until that last line. What you say flows from from what is in your heart. I want you to think about what that means. Because a lot of us go, well, in my day-to-day, in my interactions with people, I'm, I'm nice, I'm kind. I did a, a thing, we were doing a leadership book at work right now and, and I had to go through and ask people to rate me on these different skills and the first one was people skills and everyone that I reached out to put me at a nine or ten on people skills because they had seen me in a professional setting for that. Then my wife, who I love, said, I'm going to put you at a seven and I went, ooh, what does that mean? Well then, instead of me listening to what that means, I filled her mouth with my words about what it means, and now I realize what it means. Because professionally, absolutely, I have great people skills. Relationally, I do not, and I needed to hear that perspective. And and I want you to think about this, because what was going on in me, while you may look and say, well, just talking is not that bad of a thing, but it's out of my pride that I speak half the time. That I know what's best to say. And that results in me talking over or saying things that I shouldn't say or in a way I shouldn't say them. Even in every day-to-day conversation that happens. And I don't even realize it half the time. But from what's going on in my heart, my mouth will speak. For you, you may feel like you do good every day. But I want you to think about the moments that you get stressed, angry, frustrated, when you feel backed into a corner, when you're hurt, what comes out of your mouth at that point? Every morning I get my son Micah up for school, and, and some mornings I wake up and I've just got a bunch of stuff on my mind, things i got to get done, and those are always the mornings that he feels like he wants to move as slow as he possibly can, and I don't understand how that works, but it does every time. And in those moments, my son is very sensitive in how he hears and receives words, and so, for five years of his life, I've been trying to learn how to interact with him in a way that I don't cause hurt unintentionally. And so, in these mornings, I find myself having to really catch myself to not be harsh with him or quick just because I'm struggling or I'm frustrated. But you see, when my frustration is what I dwell on, that's what will come out. It's the same for all of us in these kind of situations. What we dwell on, what we're allowing to be settling in our heart, what we've been focusing on and and holding on to and harboring there will come out. And we need to realize that when our true heart is shown, that's what's going on. I also think about the heart that I was born with, a heart that is full of sin, separated from God, a heart that pursues after my own desires, my own things, my own ones, and does not look to, to anything else, let alone to praise and glorify God. And I think about how sometimes I choose to live in the old self. Instead of putting on my new self in Christ, I'm supposed to crucify the old self, but instead I'll hang it up in the closet so I can wear it tomorrow when I need it. And then I carry around the new self in a little bag just in case I need to put it on for some kind of interaction. But I find myself, when I'm living in my old sinful self, I find that my words tend to reflect that a lot. They don't come out, it's not blatantly evil stuff coming out of my mouth, but it's hurtful and it's too much. And it's not glorifying to God. It's not encouraging. And I want you to hear what we see in Scripture here. Because we're supposed to have a heart that produces these beautiful, encouraging things here. Have a heart of the psalmist in Psalm 19, 14 where it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If I allow my heart to dwell on anger, frustration, hatred, and bitterness, I'm going to produce gossip, slander, lies, harsh words, Those are the kind of things that are going to come out. But if I look at like Philippians 4, 8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When I dwell on things like that, my heart produces encouragement, forgiveness, love, peace, truth, beneficial conversations that build up and grow the body of Christ. What I'm dwelling on and allowing my heart to settle on is what will come out when I'm stressed or in every day, when I'm frustrated or when I'm happy. It will come out and it does more than we realize. And we need to hear this and the reality of it. Let's jump back into James verse 9 here. We're going to finish this section through verse 12. Sometimes It praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Have you ever said something to someone and realized that it hurt them and then tried to say something else to fix it, and they don't accept it? It's because they already drank from that spring and it was salty. I think of the times that I've been talking to my wife and I say something and I can see the hurt on her face and I didn't even mean to, didn't think that that would be hurtful and so what do I do? I talk and talk and talk trying to correct and fix, confuse as to why she won't take that and accept that. Well, it's because she's seen the source that I'm speaking from. I don't produce fresh water from a salty spring. It doesn't work that way. And I I want you to think about this in your life. What, What is in our hearts will come out and we want it to be what's right. But if this source, if this source is corrupt, then what comes out will be corrupt. No matter how good or smooth it sounds. We have to be very careful in this but it all comes back down to our heart and where we're at with these things God deserves our praise but a lot of us come in and we sing songs on a Sunday morning that we don't believe or live out any other day of the week we're just making noise with other people and hoping that it's good enough to please God do you think that that really does praise him Think about what happens when when I come in and I praise God and I say amen to certain things and, and, and stuff and I enjoy stuff and then I step right out these doors here and I grab somebody else to start frustratedly gossiping about how I disagreed with stuff that went on or how I don't like this person that was leading this or saying this. Praise doesn't come from the same source as cursing. So either my praise is fake and I'm producing cursing out or the cursing does not get to exist there. So how do we do this? How do we live this? Because a lot of us read this passage and go, so I should just not talk or sing or probably even breathe. <laughs> That's not what it's saying though. Sure, there is a, a list of things that is, we need to stop using our tongue for this, but realize something about the tongue. While we see that it is a weapon and a dangerous one at that, It is also a tool that we've been called to use. We've been called, according to to this passage, to holster the weapon but to pick up the tool. And so I want to help you see what that looks like. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 helps us understand what we need to stop using Our tongue for things like this. It says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. It's interesting here to me because this section, we often look at it and say, okay, I've got to get rid of these things and then I will automatically have a desire for for." Uh, the good things of God. But that's not the reality. I want you to think about it in this way. As I travel around for my job, I have to eat at a lot of restaurants. I have a lot of meetings with people over food. And oftentimes, I don't get to pick what I'm eating or where I'm eating from. It's just brought in for us. And, And so I love that, but I've realized something. It's very hard to maintain a weight that is healthy while doing this. And so while I'm home and having control over this a little bit, I'm doing my best to eat healthy and make healthier choices so that I can continue to do this. But something I've realized lately is this. I don't crave healthy food. I don't. I don't wake up in the morning going, mmm, carrots. I don't. I don't think about that. You understand what I'm saying? We don't crave this. And you know why I don't crave it? It's because all I've done is fill myself with junk that satisfies an emotional need more than a physical need. And I have this craving that is driven by emotion more than it's driven by actual health and nutrition. And so I chase after this. I crave for these other things that I think fulfill me. I don't crave this other stuff. In the same way, if I have been living with hypocrisy and deceit and jealousy and all unkind speech and evil behavior, I'm not going to crave the pure spiritual milk of God. I love that he doesn't say here and repeat the verse of taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. He didn't even say, you're going to like it. But he said, now that you've tasted it and you've seen what it is, start working towards that now. It is a choice. I have to choose to put away all this evil talk, the ugliness that comes out. And I have to start chasing after what will heal and correct my heart so that the spring from which it flows is healthy. It's not an easy thing to do. We're not just going to go, oh, I crave it. I mean, think about it. How many times have you felt this that you're going, I just don't, I don't have this huge desire to chase after God right now. We're not likely to have that when we haven't been. And so I want to encourage you to think about this in that way. What is it that we need to put off that has been giving us spiritual junk food? And how do we start actually giving our heart the healthy spiritual things it needs so that we produce what is right? Challenge yourself on this. I know that I need this challenge regularly and I think that all of us need to see this. It is a choice. What does your spiritual diet look like right now? Is it just to fulfill your emotions or is it to help you balance your emotions with truth? Because that's what we need to be pursuing. That's where we're at in this. Ephesians 4.29 continues the call on us of what we need to put aside. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let everything you say, I was talking with Jamie Warden uh, between these last two services and he came to me and said, you know, I was thinking about that and, and my wife and I, will go driving, we travel to go see our kids and we'll be driving down the road and, and I'll say, honey, why aren't you responding to me on stuff? And she says, well, because not everything you say deserves a response. <laughs> okay. And he started thinking, he goes, what have I said? And he goes, you know, about 10 minutes ago, I said, look, there's a cow. Yep, yeah, that doesn't need a response but he was getting emotionally hurt, and I do this exact same thing. Janae can tell you, I'm like, oh, look, a cow, oh, look, a deer, oh, look, this, oh, look, that, and, and she's like, oh, I don't care. She's like, turn on one of your podcasts, let me sleep, let's, you know, do something. But it's not that she's trying to be rude, it's that I'm just talking to talk, and it's not even uplifting or encouraging, it's just noise. Do you ever do that? Just add noise for there to be noise? I think about this and, and how that's the struggle. But it's not just that. There's foul and abusive language we have to battle as well. I've had friends that use uh, passages and things to try to teach that God is okay with us using curse words at certain times as long as the circumstances warrant it. And then I read this verse in Ephesians and go, Where, what do you mean he's okay with it? Let no unwholesome talk. Let no foul or abusive language come out of your mouth. And I want you to think about that. Does it leave allowances for, well, but if the circumstances fit this, then we can just, no, it doesn't. And I understand some of you are like, well, I'm working on that. But there's a reason why we work on it is because we know that it's wrong. We like to justify what would be easy and make us feel good in the moment. But it's not what is right. And we need to to realize that side of it. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Not an easy thing, but it is something we need to work towards because it benefits beyond just the person right here who's hearing it. I want to challenge you that this is not just a call for us to stop using our tongue, but to start using it for certain things. Scripture tells us to pray. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. What about when, my fellow believers, that one person does not deserve my prayer? What about when I don't trust them, like them? Am I frustrated with them? They hurt me. They said this. They did this. I don't want to pray for them. And yet here is the opportunity that we have with the tool of the tongue instead of the weapon of the tongue. Is to pray for them. It's intercessory prayer. We pray for the lost to be saved and for the saints to be sanctified, to be made more like Christ. Now I'm not looking and praying for this person that I'm frustrated with to be more like what I think they should be. I'm praying that God would work in their life and in the meantime, I know what God is doing when I pray is he's helping me submit to what he desires and he's working in my own life to help me forgive, to help me walk with them in unity as part of the body of Christ. This is why I pray for them. But it's not just for that person, it's for all believers everywhere. Church Universal, church in this room the church in your home, the rest of the body of Christ. We need to be praying. Use that tool for what you've been called to with that. The next thing that we need to do is this. We need to speak edify the body build up the body of Christ with the tongue we do this by speaking the truth in love again in Ephesians chapter 4 it says then we will no longer be immature like children we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth instead we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body the church This is the section to the church all about how we get to the point that we truly are made to be. Reflecting him, his body, reflecting it to the world around us. That's what we're called to be. And it starts with, hey, there are teachers and pastors and evangelists that are gifted to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we can reach and attain this full level of maturity. And as we walk in maturity, we do things like this. We speak the truth in love. What does that look like? How do I speak the truth in love? Some of us are really good at speaking the truth, not in love. As I already told you, I like to speak the truth oftentimes from pride of I know the truth and you don't, or I know what's right or how to explain it better than you do. I don't think these things, but I look at my heart and realize that's where it's coming from half the time. And I, I want you to realize that, that when we see this speaking the truth in love, we get a picture in 1 Corinthians of what that looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, a passage you're probably familiar with. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard it. But if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll understand it has really nothing to do with romantic love. It'd be very awkward if it did. But here's the thing. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. When we say speak the truth in love, this is the love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I want you to think about when you speak truth to people, are you speaking truth with a love like that? That no matter their response to it, you'll endure through every circumstance that you're patient, you're kind, you're not demanding your own way. You're just speaking truth out of love for them that they need to hear in a hope that they would come to the truth. This is what the body of Christ needs. I can just tell you this, that in all the churches that I've gotten to interact with in this last year, the same thing has happened. The church has forgotten how to speak truth and love. Instead, we speak truth out of this idea of my justice. And I want what I want, so I demand my way, and you need to follow it. You need to get with it. And it's caused divisions within every church, including this one. And we have major issues with this because instead of speaking the truth in love, we speak what we feel in gossip and slander, and we cause issues. And we're not unified as the body. And I want to encourage you, if you're having issues, if you're having struggles, and you're going, but I'm not ready, I don't love them enough right now to speak this, then stop talking about it to other people. Because even if it's the truth that you're saying to them, you're not speaking it in love, that it would edify and build up the body of Christ. This is what we're called to do with it. There are times that you need to have conversations with others to come together and have a conversation with the one. But if it's not in love, don't have that. Slow down. And I would just encourage you, come and talk to the one that you're struggling with. Find out why. Figure it out. Work together in love. Be committed. Be unified. For the sake of the body being built up and maturing, and for the sake of exactly the last thing that we are called to do with the tongue, for the sake of the world around us, we are called to carry the message of the gospel. James says that the tongue is set on fire by hell itself, and God says that I'm going to give the people who carry that tongue My message of the gospel, to carry it out to the world, makes no sense to me why he would do that, but he does. He entrusts it to us and infuses it with the power to save. Incredible. But we are called to carry it. Mark 16, 15, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. This is vital, and I want to just get specific for a moment. This is extremely vital for those that are children and teenagers. Teenagers. I don't know if you know this, but two-thirds of people who come to know Christ come before the age of 18. If you had a business and you were finding that much of your customer base was coming from a specific demographic, two-thirds of, that, of your customer base was from one demographic, you would invest heavily into reaching that demographic, wouldn't you? And yet what's happened in the church today is that we've invested across the board in the United States less than 15% on average into youth and children's ministry combined the area that we have the most opportunity to reach because they're most open to the conversation about the gospel, to accomplish the mission that we're called to, which is to carry the gospel to all. And it's the area that we invest the least amount in because we want it to be, and I'm I'm sorry, we want it to be about us in the church and we struggle with this. We're not about his mission. And I want to challenge you. You have children's ministry here that needs you and needs you to invest your time into it. Huge opportunities. You may be looking and saying, well, that's because kids are easy to manipulate with the gospel. Go talk to a third and fourth grader. They are not. I sit down and I talk to them every Wednesday and I have to show them truth, not just tell them truth. They're like, well, what do you mean by that? Where is that? Show me that. Why does it mean that? Can you tell me? I'm like, why are you asking so many questions? But it's so good and I love it. Go talk to a teenager. Try to convince them of something that you believe is truth. They're not easy to manipulate, but they are open to the conversation. And I would just encourage you, we have a youth ministry here that that desperately needs you, that needs your help, that needs people to come and care for and love on and teach these students. They are the best bet we have on reaching the largest generation that the world has ever seen. I would ask you to consider and invest into them. Not from a distance, honestly. Be involved. Be part. Find a way to be in this. Because you are needed and it's a huge opportunity to share the gospel regularly, consistently, constantly. We are called to this. Now it's not just for young people. The gospel is needed across the board for everyone, for all people but here's the issue, is when I don't tame my tongue, when I don't show it what I should be doing with it, instead of, uh, and just do, even when I just look and do the things, it's like, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. A lot of times we read this passage and go, I just need to bite my tongue. But there's a huge time when biting my tongue actually hurts, and not just more than me. It hurts everyone around me who needs the truth. When I bite my tongue and not share the gospel, I'm... I'm holding back a truth that the world needs to hear, but also when I share the gospel without taming my life and my tongue, I have a problem there too because it's like me serving up a delicious steak on a dirty plate. Nobody wants that. We'll send that back to the kitchen and ask them to remake the steak to give us a clean plate. It's the same way when you go and you're trying to share the gospel with somebody that's closer in your head that you work with and they're like, do you know I was with you in that meeting the other day and I heard what you said? You know, I saw that text that you sent to the group chat. And you want me to think that I need the Jesus that you have? Man, you're worse than me. It's hard for people to accept that when our lives don't reflect it. Philippians 1.27 starts like this. It says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Are we doing that? With our tongue, with our lives. Conducting ourselves in a manner that if I do proclaim the gospel they can look at my life and see it lived out to back up what I'm claiming. We need to be doing this because God only serves up revival on clean plates. It's what he does. He looks for those that are seeking after him, that are chasing after him, and he uses them to reach into the world that desperately needs him. Colossians 4, 6, last verse I want to share with you. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Some say let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. I like this because the idea of salt is it does a few things. It preserves, meaning the conversation can continue later if need be because it's been attractive enough, tasteful enough, that, that it's something that will hold over or people want to hear more of. This is the kind of thing that we need to have. But if my tongue is saying things that my life is not reflecting, I don't have salt or my salt's lost its taste, lost its saltiness. And I want to just challenge you to think about how you're living. Think about what you're saying. Think about what heart it's reflected out of and realize the need of the world around you. Some of you sitting here today may be hearing this about the gospel and going, I don't even know what that is. And I just want to make it very clear to you very simply. It's this, that God created you to be with him You were made for that purpose, but you're separated from God because of sin. Sin isn't just bad things we do. It's missing the mark. God had a standard. It was perfection, and all of us have fallen short of it. Now we try to be good people and deal with it. We try to add a bunch of good deeds, hoping it outweighs the bad. But God doesn't require that. He requires the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. So he sent his son Jesus who came, he lived perfectly, and he gave himself up willingly for you, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, declaring that payment accepted on your behalf. And now everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Everyone. Isaiah 59 one says, The arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. You are not too far gone. You are not too far away. You are not so bad that he cannot redeem you. Everyone who trusts in Jesus and him alone has eternal life. And that eternal life with Jesus isn't just about heaven. It starts right now and lasts forever. He said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly now into eternity. When we travel around and talk to students, we tell them this, that God didn't send Jesus just to save you from the hell that you're headed to, but to walk with you in the hell you go through. Because it's the reality of the life that we live in in Christ, as he is with us in all things, helping us to have wisdom in all things, helping us to walk through and be sustained and persevere through all things. Apart from him, I don't know how I would do this at all. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're hearing this truth of the gospel, and you're understanding it for the first time, as I close in prayer, I'm just going to ask that you would take some time to talk to God. To tell him that you are ready to trust in Jesus. To put your faith in him, knowing that he is the only one who can save you. And as you do that, if you do, before you leave today, come and talk to me. Grab somebody from the worship team. Grab one of the elders or one of the pastors. We would love to celebrate with you and to come alongside you in discipleship to help you grow. We want you to know what it means and to be able to walk in it. Because we don't walk alone. We are united as the body of Christ. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of that. Now we're going to celebrate communion here as we close. And and for those of us who have our faith in Christ, something I want to challenge you on is this, to think about this. When you see his body being broken for you and you think about the words that he spoke, does your life reflect that? Does your life respond to his body being broken by reflecting the same kind of things that he was about? When you see and think of his blood poured out, does your life reflect that truth? in the way that you speak? Are you not just silencing your tongue, but taming it, not by your own power because you can't, but by his power that is alive within you? As we take communion, I want you to remember what he has done, reflect on it, give him praise for it, and see what it should mean for you to walk in it. I'm gonna pray for you, and then as you're ready, you can come and take communion. God, we praise you. We thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die in our place. To pay the price that we owed for our sin and to make a way for us to be brought back into a restored relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would help us to find that if God, if there's people here who have not yet put their faith in you, would you draw them to yourself as only you can. And God, for those of us that do already know you, would you help us to live lives worthy of that message, lives that can carry that on clean plates, lives, God, that that from the heart that reflects it, our mouths speak these truths, pray for one another, care for one another, build one another up and carry the message of the gospel out. God, help us to be those who tame the tongue for your glory and not just so that we can feel powerful so that we can be recognized as better people. God, help us to tame the tongue, to holster the weapon, and to pick up the tool to use it for your glory and yours alone. God, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus' body broken and his blood poured out. Speak to us, God, through this time, and help us to realize where in our lives we need to reflect this truth more. In Jesus' name, amen.